What up, what up, what up? How's everybody doing? You good? So glad you're here. Don't you love when we just kind of strip it all down and do an old hymn? Don't you just love that? I surrender all. Something powerful about that old hymn. So glad you are here. Welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Benji. Thrilled that you would be here. Can we just give it up and welcome all of the campuses? Love you guys. Grab your teaching notes. Open up your app if you don't want to do the teaching notes. Man, if you've not started using our app yet, I'm telling you, it is redone and it is incredible. Go to the app store, put in the church name, my name, whatever the case may be, and it will open up and you will be ready to go. You can take notes, fill in the blanks on your phone, on your tablets. You can save those notes later and study them. And uh, for some of you, it's just better to go digital than the paper. Whatever works for you. Hey, who's excited about the summer? How many of you love summertime, summertime, summertime? How many of you, you can't stand summertime? You don't like hot weather? You folks need to move up north, glory to God, and we'll send you and send a campus up north. Man, I love, love, love summertime, and uh, I'm fired up about this series. I don't know what you do in the summertime. Uh, like, I normally listen to uh, some Kenny Chesney, you know what I'm saying? Zach Brown band, know what I'm saying? Talking about some Chris Stapleton. Come on, come on. Last week, I talked about getting an organ out here. We're gonna get a Hammond organ out here one day and I'm gonna start preaching and and I said, you know, white people have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you black folk have no idea what I'm talking about. Some of you black folk need more country music in your life. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, all right? So um, country music, man, flip-flops, flip-flops. How many of you like flip-flops in the summertime? Yeah, we're, we're kicking off a series called Shoes, and I'm telling you, I am really, really excited about this series, and here's why. I get to talk about my favorite subject, and that's Jesus. And I don't know if you figured this out. Maybe you're kind of new, you're just checking it out, or, or, or maybe you've been in the church a while, but listen, Jesus Christ was the coolest human being slash God, coolest dude, we'll put it like that, coolest dude to ever walk on planet earth. I'm not talking about like God. He was God in the flesh. That's a subject for another day. But Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, and I'm hoping that as we get into this series, you will be enamored and captivated by Jesus. Because we all need some more Jesus in our lives. Can I get an amen? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you need more Jesus. Y'all actually did that better than I thought you would. Now look at your other neighbor, the one you obviously tried to avoid. Look at your other neighbor, and I'm talking about with some sass, man. You need Mo Jesus. Because see, we all need more Jesus, and this series, this series is going to be, listen, it's gonna, come on back, come on back, come on. It's, it's gonna be all about Stepping in the shoes of other people who had close encounters in the Gospels with Jesus. Because, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard this saying before, you need to walk in the shoes of the other person. Walk a, shoe, walk a mile in their shoes, you'll, you'll know what they're up against. Anytime we step into the shoes of another person, it can only make us more empathetic, more kind, less judgmental less cynical, especially if we step into the shoes of people who had these incredible encounters with Jesus Christ in the flesh 2,000 
years ago. There's something incredibly powerful about that. And I don't know if you know this about Jesus. Maybe you're just kind of new to the church and all that kind of stuff. The cool thing about Jesus is that the quote-unquote undesirables of his day love to hang out with Jesus. And Jesus loved to hang out with them. Jesus loved those people who were a little rough around the edges, to which some of you are thinking, I'm a good candidate for that then, right? Well, there's this guy on my, I always encourage you guys to have a list. Who's on your list? Who are you building a relationship to see them come to faith in Christ? There's this guy on my list. I'm going to let him go nameless, but um, I've been building a redemptive relationship with this guy for a couple of years now. And uh, he's finally started to come to church here. And he comes only on CNE. You know what I'm saying? He's a CNE Christian. Christmas and Easter. But this past Easter, I was so excited. He was here. And he walked out into, into, our, uh, into our rotunda. And he high-fived me. And this is what he said. Pastor, that was one blankety, 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 blankety service. <laughs> to where some of you are thinking, that dude shouldn't be in church to which I would dare disagree with you. See, I love the fact that he feels comfortable coming to this church. Can I get an amen? I love the fact that he's interested in Christ. Listen, Jesus loved to hang out with folks who were kind of on the peripheral edge, if you will. He loved to hang out with folks who weren't in the religious establishment. And so we're kicking off a series called Shoes, and we're going to step into some of their shoes. And you might wonder where these kind of series come from. This one was birthed, if you will, um, after watching the greatest movie of all time. And you might disagree with me, but you will be wrong. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's got to be one of the greatest movies of all time with, I will stand by this, with the greatest soundtrack of all time. And it started kind of in the main scene that kept coming back throughout the movie was a man by the name of Tom Hanks sitting on a park bench. Remember this picture? Remember this? There he is. Now, you can tell a lot about a person by the shoes. Come on, what a great movie. What what a great movie. And who here can even remember the day when doctors used to smoke cigarettes in the office with you? Come on now, that's just nasty. It's nasty. Somebody asked me one time, they said, Pastor, will I go to hell if I smoke? I said, no. You'll just smell like you've been there. (laughs) Nasty, man, nasty. Anywho, we're going to be looking at shoes. What kind of shoes you got on? What kind of shoes you got? Look at your shoes. You you can tell a lot about a person by the shoes. Look at your neighbor's shoes. What kind of shoes they got on? I see a lot of flip-flops up here. You guys got the memo. Y'all got the memo. Shoes, Shoes say a lot about a person. Some of you like bold shoes, bold fashion statements. Others of you go a little more conservative with your shoes. Most of you women, (laughs) I shouldn't say this, have way more shoes than you'll ever wear. I'm just saying. But shoes say a lot about it. Like the shoes I got on today, these these shoes, you know, they they say nothing but like, I'm into comfort. I'm into, like, I never thought I'd see the day that it is acceptable 
for preachers to wear tennis shoes on the stage. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Like this, this is a recent phenomenon, but now lots of pastors all over the country are wearing tennis shoes to which I say, praise God. But each week we're going to step into these shoes that we find people kind of wearing, if you will, or that we would imagine them wearing in the New Testament as they encounter Jesus. Today, flip-flops. How many of you got flip-flops on? All the campuses, raise your hand if you got flip-flops on. A lot of you got the message. I got to be real with you. I thought about wearing flip-flops today, but here's the deal, man. There's something wrong with my feet because I, I don't like flip-flops. I, I'm not a flip-flop kind of guy. I've tried it. I don't know if there's something that like they normally fall off my feet or I trip on them. Like, and I almost warm today, but I knew if I did up here preaching, I would trip on the stage in flip-flops. So I'm not a big flip-flop kind of person. Some of you wear them all the time, man. Some of you like eight, nine months a year, you wear flip-flops. Next week, don't miss next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about wingtips and Nicodemus. Come on, feel free to wear them to church. The following week, I might do this, work boots with the Roman soldier. Never preached in work boots before, but I got some. I'll throw them on. I might preach in them. Week four, week four, stilettos with the woman at the well. Ladies, you got a closet full of shoes. Just go ahead and pop out in a pair of stilettos. Bring them on. Guys, 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 guys. No stilettos, please. <laughs> and you're like, well, aren't we a come as you are a church? Yes, but there are some things that's just a little too far. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no stilettos with the guys. The next week, the next week, week five, we're going to be looking at sandals with the Roman official and the healing of his daughter. The following week, come on, week six, Feel free to wear these to church. We're going to slip into the slippers with the woman caught in adultery. The following week, I got a feeling I'm going to do this. Barefoot with Peter walking on the water. You're like, Pastor, are you telling me I can come to church barefoot? No, go ahead and bring your shoes. But we might, we might talk about it as the day unfolds. Go ahead and wear them. I know I will that day. But barefoot with Peter. But today... We're talking about John the baptizer. Again, take out your teaching notes and let's go get this today. Unbelievable character in the Bible. There's not a lot written in the Bible about John the baptizer. However, I would tell you that I think he is one of, if not the greatest human being to ever live. To which some of you be like, oh, that just sounds like a preacher exaggeration. You're about to talk about him. Listen, I've never seen a resume. He never led any armies. He never wrote a book. He never won a Nobel Peace Prize. I know, I know, I know. But did you know that Jesus actually said this about John the baptizer? Let's read it out loud together. Ready, go. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. An amazing statement by Jesus. What did Jesus see in and through the life of John the baptizer? Or as you, some of you, you know, past Baptists would say, John the Baptist. Either name works for him. What did Jesus see in this guy 
think about this, that made Jesus say, there's no one greater than him. Unbelievable, because if we can crack that code, if we can go to school on John the baptizer, there's a really good chance today that as we walk out of here, God will position our lives in a, in a trajectory, if you will, of transformation, and we too just might be great in the eyes of God. Here's how I've worded it in your teaching notes or on your app. Learning from or learning in the shoes of John. Here's the first one, write it in. Be God's limited edition. Hello. The beautiful thing about John the baptizer is that he was not a conformist. He was not a duplicate. He never tried to be a carbon copy of anyone else. John embraced his originality. And the lesson for us in that is that we would be wise to follow his example. You are a limited addition. You are unique in God's eyes. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but a lot of the folks in the Bible had these unique birth stories, if you will. Jesus had the most unique, born of a virgin, right? Incredibly unique. But did you know that Moses was about murdered at birth and found floating in a basket? Did you know that Isaac, Samuel, and Samson, all born to women who struggled with infertility for years? And then there's John's story. Born to parents, come on, born to parents who were way too old to have children. Zechariah and Elizabeth, picture them. They're sitting around sipping insure, <laughs> buying pampers, with their social security checks and an angel busts up on the scene. Hey, guess what? You're gonna have a baby. Look at it, let's read it out loud together. Here we go. In the word, ready? Go. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you are to name him. You remember what happened? Zachariah's like, yeah, right. Remember what God did? Shut up. To which you're like, I don't remember that part of the Bible. That's my interpretation. <laughs> God muted him. Muted him on the spot. Come on, can, can you imagine wanting children? Wanting to have a child? And eventually you and your wife conceive. And then God says, shut up. I'm not gonna let you talk about it. You're like, you're like, what are you talking about? Look at this next passage. Here we go. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be what? And unable to speak until this child is born. Unbelievable. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the what? At the proper time. I'm telling you, Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is going to happen, but you are going to have to be quiet about it. Unique birth. And can I just take a moment to remind you that you're a limited addition? Can I take a moment to remind you, we forget about this, that God saw fit to have you conceived and created you intricately in your mother's womb for nine months. 
can I just remind you that somebody chose to have you and you are a unique, limited addition. I was at a, a get-together Friday night. As a group of staff. We were hanging out, just kind of having a little get-together, celebrating life and friendship. And I'm in the kitchen, and, and uh, they're saucing it up, and we're getting ready to serve and all this kind of stuff. And I get fixated for just a moment on the refrigerator because on the refrigerator was a picture of the person who was hosting the party, a dear friend of mine, been a friend of mine for 15 years now. And on her picture was the 3D image of the ultrasound picture of her second grandchild. And there was all kind of ruckus going on around me and they're banging plates and I just get, I got fixated on it. And finally, I just, I just hugged her and I said, can you believe what God does in the womb. And I just want to say to you ever so quickly today, and listen, this is not a political statement. This is a biblical statement that God formed you and formed me in our mother's womb. You're like, give me a passage. Okay, Psalm 139. Psalm 139. The Bible says this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Everybody say thank you. Thank you. Now say it like you're saying it to God for making you. Thank you. thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Look at this. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And so I sat there looking at this picture. Let me, let me show you their grandchild. Let me show you this. Let, let me, here, here's another one, different angle. Sucking his thumb, I guess. Now, if you're a discerning person, you feel tension in the room right now. And I haven't even mentioned the word that is such a hot button word. But again, this is your pastor not talking to you about a political agenda. This is your pastor reminding you that the Bible says that God formed you and forms life in the womb of the mother. And I don't know if you've realized it or not, but I believe if there is one thing that technology and science, science, is helping us understand in this day and age. And you see a shift happening. And some are, I'm not getting into all of that. Some are, I think, are crazy. But you see a shift happening in our culture. And I believe it is because we are now able to see into the womb of the mother. And there is no denying that God is intricately, delicately, creating life 
in that moment. And I will just say this, and then I will move on, to which some of you are like, thank God. But I will say this. If we're going to be a church that points out what I'm talking about and what I firmly believe in the core of my being, that is a life. If we're going to be a church that firmly believes that and, and looks to the word for our guidance on this issue, let us also be a church that will take a woman who shows up pregnant out of wedlock or who shows up who's been in a very unfortunate situation or whatever the case may be and let us embrace them and help them raise their children. I cannot stand Folks who take hard stands on pro-life and then they basically say to the woman or the young couple, deal with it on your own. Amen. May we come alongside. May we truly be a place that values life. And let me also say this and then I'm really moving on. Huh. If you've had an abortion, I'm so glad you're here. God loves you. And grace abounds, and we want to be a place for you to come and be and healed and, 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 and do anything you need to do. Don't you let the past beat you up. I wasn't sure how much I was going to do with that today. But here's the deal. When you look at human creation and you look at your life, come on, you are a limited addition. They broke, the, you've heard this saying, right? I know I heard it growing up a lot as a kid. I, my parents would look at me and say, boy, boy, they broke the mold on you. Have you heard this? You normally say that to crazy people, people that are just kind of wild. I don't know why they said it to me. I don't know. <laughs> they broke the mold on you, Benji. Here's the deal though. Listen, I dropped by to tell you today, they broke the mold on you. They broke the mold on every single one of you watching this online television or any of our campuses. You are a limited addition. No one has your fingerprints. No one has your smile. No one has your DNA. Your uniqueness, come on, sets you apart. Did you know this? God delights in watching you. There's a verse hidden in this little old book in the Old Testament. You might not have ever heard of the book. It's called Zephaniah. There's this verse hidden in the book of Zephaniah that says, God delights in singing over you. He adores you. There is no one quite like you. God loves your nose. God loves your eyes. God loves your smile. God loves your bulging biceps. <laughs> and God loves your love handles. God loves to hear you laugh, just like that right there. He loves you. Uniquely you. And if we could ever really start to internalize that, that will change our lives. And some of you will use it as an excuse to stay just like you are. I'm not saying that. Some of you are thinking, all right, I'm going to tell them they can leave me alone. God loves me just as I am. 
No, 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 no. Listen, God loves you. He loves you just as you are. But part of being a Christian is to continue to engage in this transformation process. And as the Holy Spirit comes in and starts to shape you and transform you and you become more and more like Jesus, then you're becoming more and more who God has created you to be. A quote by John Ortberg is, is, is powerful in this moment. I love this quote. Ortberg says this. When you allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, you don't just become holier. You become, look at this word, <laughs> you hear. I think he created a word, which I'm all about creating words. Have you ever said that word? Come on, say it. You hear. That's a fun word to say. One more time, balcony, let me hear you. You hear. When the Holy Spirit works inside of us, he loves us just as we are. But as the Holy Spirit works inside of us, we become more of who God in his sovereignty already knows and sees us becoming. And that was certainly the case with John the baptizer. He was unique, man. He was not a conformist. He was countercultural. His clothes, watch this, Mark 1, 6. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. And he wore a leather belt around his waist for food. Check it out. He ate locusts and wild honey. This was a different dude. This was a dude that reminds us that we are all limited additions. The religious people, they wore all the fancy smancy clothes. John had nothing to do with it. He ate, come on, he ate a low-carb diet. <laughs> he had a high-protein diet. Probably had crazy long hair with some dreads. You know what I'm saying? And probably had a tat or two. He, he was just different. And he reveled in being different. He was just who God had created him to be. And our young people today, you know, this is a popular saying in our culture, you do you, right? You do you. You ever thought about that? That's a slippery statement. <laughs> you do you. You do you. You can end up in a lot of trouble. Here's an idea. You be you. You be you who God called you to be. And you are a limited Addition. Secondly, secondly, come on, write it in. Go low and lift high. Go low and lift high. Say that with me. Go low and lift high. One more time. Go low and lift high. Truly great people in God's economy are lousy self-promoters. Truly great people in God's economy avoid pride. And whenever they see pride raising its ugly head, they cast it out quickly and they go low. They go low and they praise God high. Humility, man, is key. And listen, humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's where some of you went immediately. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's realizing that if you have influence, and we all have influence, you have influence in your home. You might have influence in your workplace. If you have children, you definitely have influence with your children. If you're a pastor and you're watching this somewhere and God's given you a, a platform, 
all of us need to remember this. That as we grow in Christ and we continue to do away with pride and we continue to go low, we need to see our ministries and our lives not as a spotlight. I remind myself of this all the time. In fact, in my office at home, I've got a little thing that I keep in front of me. Do not desire the spotlight. Instead, we are to have a floodlight. And the floodlight should always be put on Jesus. Jesus Christ is the one that we should exalt every step of the way from the rising of the sun, the Bible says, to the setting of the same. You know this verse, Psalm 113. The name of the Lord shall be praised. You just keep putting the floodlight on Jesus every step of the way. You go low and you lift high. Look at this, John 1, 29 and 30, out loud, great passage of scripture, ready, go. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John was saying, take the spotlight off of me. Put the floodlight on Jesus. He was basically saying, I've been trying to tell you. I'm just a warm-up act. He's the main event. He's the real headliner. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Lamb of God, the Messiah who what? Takes away the sins of the world. The floodlight belongs on Jesus. And as we slip into the flip-flops of John the Baptist, we first learn, man, listen, every single person is God's limited edition. And secondly, we learn the way to greatness, the way to greatness is to go low and lift high. In fact, John 3.30, you want to throw a great scripture to memory? Come on, throw this to memory. Ready? Go. He must increase, but I must, one more time, he must increase, but I must decrease. And if you want to live a great life, Here's the word. Here's the word that everybody who becomes great in God's economy learns to embrace one way, shape, or form. They become a servant. A servant. They put other people first. They realize that Jesus Christ actually said this in Matthew 20, 28 and Mark 10, 45, but I'm referring to Matthew 20, 28 out loud. Ready? Go, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as I wrap up today, I wanna just give you two opportunities to live out this calling. If we come in here and we don't ask the question, hey, how can I apply this every single Sunday, then we are missing something. And I'm wasting your time if I don't teach you how to apply it. Two opportunities that are right around the corner. Number one, you want to know the best way to go low? Go low 
in baptism. We will take and we will take you down into the waters of baptism. We will take you low. Don't worry, we will bring you up. Bring me up. The campus pastors and I, we will bring you up. But if you've never had a meaningful baptism experience, if you've never gone low into the waters of baptism, the Pauline symbolism is so important in the New Testament. We die to self. The old man, the old woman go into the waters of baptism. The waters of baptism wash off that original sin, if you will. It's very symbolic. And then we lift you up out of the waters of baptism so that your life, your life might be lived in praising Jesus high, high. So we mentioned the connect cards earlier. Hopefully you got them, grab those. We're gonna receive those in just a moment. But here's what I'd like for you to put on your connect card if you want to get baptized. Sunday, June 23rd. Sunday, June 23rd. After both, both worship celebrations, we would love to see you in the waters of baptism. And if you've never been baptized or you've never had one that is meaningful to you, mark that day. We will do it right after whatever celebration you attend. And the rest of us will gather around and we will celebrate you. But as you come out of the waters of baptism, if you've had a meaningful baptism, you're living post-baptism now. I want to give you a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to join with us in praising him high. And it's through a new discipleship journey that you're going to be hearing about so much over the years. It's called Rooted. R-O-O-T-E-D. Everybody say Rooted. If you were here on Vision Day back in January, I put a word on the, on the TV. Does anybody remember the word I put up? Change. You guys are amazing. Change. And we're going to still be a church that reaches. We're going to still be a church that goes from the seats to the streets. We're going to be a church that continues to see lots and lots of people get saved and baptized. But here's the deal. We are going to become a church that takes people and plunges them deep into discipleship. Come on now. We're going to stop playing games and we're going to make sure if you're a part of New Hope Church, you're going to have a solid, robust theology. You're going to have wrestled through the hard questions that we all wrestle with. It all goes down in Rooted. Now, Rooted starts September 17th, if I'm not mistaken. September 17th. Now, you think that's a long ways away. I know. But it's not too early for you to do one of two things. On that same Connect card, I want you to write the word Rooted if you're going to be engaging in the rooted discipleship curriculum coming in September. Let me warn you, we're not going to be able to take everybody through rooted at first. Here's how rooted goes down. It's not in the homes, it's at the church. From there, after those 10 weeks, we're hoping those groups go into the homes, but we launch rooted groups at the church. It's 10 weeks long. And what I'd like for you to do today, if you're sitting here and you know that you know you can facilitate a group like, you know you can handle a group. You can lead a conversation. You can make sure it stays balanced and everybody's getting a share and we're, we're staying on point. If you're willing to be a rooted facilitator, not a scholar, not a, not a biblical teacher, but a facilitator, would you just write on your Connect card, rooted facilitator? Or again, if you just know you want to be in it, just write rooted. 
Everybody won't be able to go through it right away, but here's what we're gonna do. Every single semester, there will be rooted classes here at the church. Fall semester, winter semester, spring semester, quite possibly, we're not sure yet, but probably summer semester, four semesters of rooted going on continuously. And it will be the vehicle through which you grow in your discipleship and we start to live life more on mission as a church. It's called rooted. What is your ministry? The powerful thing about John the Baptist is that he was always on point. He was always pointing people to Jesus Christ. He was living in ministry. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And anytime they tried to market him, anytime they tried to put the spotlight on him, he would put the floodlight right on Jesus. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite theologians, has this great quote about ministry. Ministry is the fruit of finding your gifts and offering what you have. Ministry is not something that requires professional credentials. Hello. Some of you think ministry is just for clergy. No, 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 no. It requires no professional credentials. It is a vocation each of us claims by virtue of our what church? By virtue of our baptism in the body of Christ. I love this next image. Ministry is the overflow of your love for God. Everybody say overflow. Ministry is when, get you some of this, two people toast their glasses of wine and something splashes over. Come on, what, what do you say in the season ahead? We become a church that starts doing ministry. Come on, come on, out of the overflow out of the overflow of our lives, out of the fact that we love God and we love one another and we toast our lives together in community and discipleship and church on Sunday. And as we do, the splash of that just starts to splash God's kingdom all over Central North Carolina and beyond. That's what I'm inviting you to today. Use that Connect card and let's go get this series and this season as we go low. And we do what, church? We lift him high. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for, um, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you for this series. God, I pray that every single person would leave today knowing that you have created them as a limited addition. And God, we would not be a church that just grows a mile wide, but only an inch deep. But that we would be a church, Father God, that continues to plunge ourselves, not only into the waters of baptism, but, oh God, into your word, into discipleship. That out of our lives together, oh God, you would just splash your kingdom of love your kingdom of truth, your kingdom of grace throughout the Carolinas and beyond. May you receive all the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Let the people of God say together, amen and amen.
and amen.